I came from being an East London bricklayer, poor, surrounded by a bunch of poor people. I don't want to talk to poor people arrogantly. Why? Because I know what being poor is like, and it's <laughs> shit. And if you're happy being poor, you're not listening to this podcast. Yeah. The reason you're listening to this podcast is because you're aggravated to get more out of you, out of your substance, out of your solution, and out of your life, and out of your relationships. And that's what I wanted. Welcome back to the show. I'm Travis Chappell, and I believe that if you can connect with the best, you can become the best. So after creating 800 podcast episodes about building your network, I've come to realize that networking is really just making friends, if you're doing it the right way anyway. Join me as I make friends with world-class athletes like Shaquille O'Neal, entertainers like Rob Deerdeck, authors like Dr. Nicole LaPera, former presidents like Vicente Fox, or even the occasional FBI hostage negotiator, billionaire real estate mogul, or polarizing political figure. So if you want to make more friends that help you become a better version of yourself, then subscribe to the show and keep on listening because this is Travis Makes Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Travis Makes Friends. Today, I'm making friends with Steve Sims. Now, it's weird for me to say I'm making friends with him now because Steve and I have known each other now for five, five and a half years. We've hung out at in least. Thailand, different countries, and Vegas a few times. We see each other all over the place. And it's actually, it's been a while. It's yeah. been a while. So welcome back to the show, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I was thinking about it. I think like we've hung out a bunch, but I think the only other time you were on the show is when you were promoting your last book, which is I think when we first got connected at Thrive Through Coal. Yeah. Uh, back in 2017, your first book, Bluefish. And I think we knew each other. We'd spoken to each other prior to that. Yeah. Because I remember focusing on our connection at Thrive because I'd got to know you and I'd got to know, you know, yeah. how a lot of people say a good thing, but don't hold their word. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that you weren't one of them. So I do remember Thrive making a note of staying in contact with you more. So we knew each other before Thrive. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was because uh, I was in the Cole's mastermind was like one of the first masterminds I ever joined. Right. I think you spoke at one of those meetups, like with Caleb yeah. Maddox and a couple other people That's or something. Right, yeah. And I spoke at that same one. So Cole did a good job of like helping people in the group. Right get up in front of people. And I had a big background in speaking, just never in a business context. That was one of the first like business talks I ever gave. And I think you were at that meetup and Caleb Maddox was there. A few other people were there. And then, and then I had you on the show and then we were backstage. I I won the affiliate contest for getting people to come to thrive. And so put me in the the backstage and then hanging out with uh, Bradley back there and stuff. And then you came up, we started talking a little bit more and it was like, Hey, we should, we should do something together and then a few months later we find ourselves in thailand yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's not a bad place to find yourself no running around a tuk-tuk in patia not at all that's no, right phuket that was it yeah, it was in yeah, phuket yeah. yeah yeah but you you i remember you jumped on that opportunity because you lived in thailand for a while you lived all over the place of all the places you've lived what's the best one where i am now because i think i was always searching and i was always you know searching is a frustrating and aggravating and rewarding thing, but in that order and at that percentage. You know, I think as a youngster, I was always trying to find, you know, where I could kind of fit in when, let's be honest, we don't fit in anywhere. (laughs) So, you know, it had me aggravated in England and I got this opportunity in Hong Kong and I took this opportunity and I got fired and then I stayed in Asia and I moved down to Thailand and then I ended up in Switzerland and then Palm Beach and now in LA. But we were talking about it the other day, me and my wife. We live up in the hills just outside of Malibu where there's no one near us. But we got loads of mountains. Most of the time, you know, we got sunshine. We're right. I think we are six minutes from the ocean. It ain't too shabby. Yeah. And I think we're really happy then. We've been there for 
nearly 10 years, which is the longest we've ever been anywhere. So I think we've got to a point now in our 50s, and thank God a lot of people search forever and yeah. never find it. But I think we're very happy now. We adopt too many dogs <laughs> and uh, just love living up in the hills and yeah. seeing no one. And riding motorcycles. Ride motorcycles a lot. It's yeah. my... I mean, there's not too many other places. I'm not a motorcycle rider myself, but I assume there's not too many other places in the world that probably have better places to ride than where you no, are. You're, you're right there. So, you know, Southern California, I'm right in this midsection of California, as some of the roads that, you know, Mulholland, The Rock Store, Neptune's, PCH, you know, Angel's Crest. These are names where bikers all over the world now are salivating, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and down my backyard. Right. But the funny thing is people get very confused with why motorcycling is such an addiction and so beautiful for me. It's one of the only places in the planet I can disconnect. I can't yeah. give you a lift. Can't have a conversation with you. Can't have a phone call. I can't check a text or an email. Like I flew over here. I was doing, I was texting on my yeah, flight. Right. You know, you, your chain was so, you, but on a bike, you're on your own. Mm -hmm. And I think today, especially as entrepreneurs, we need to have conversations with ourselves. Yeah. We need to be in a place where we're just walking down the ocean, you know, running, jogging, you know, martial art, whatever, mm -hmm. where you disconnected from the planet mm -hmm. to have you time. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't do that. And for me, I love being on a motorbike. I've got a gig in San Diego in a couple of weeks' time, and I can't wait to go on it and ride. Nice. Because I get three, two and a half hours, three hours, just riding, and I'm going to take detours up hills. Right, the ocean. right. Just have me time and have a conversation with me. Yeah, it's incredible how often – like the biggest and best ideas come out of alone time rather than like executive team brainstorming sessions. There's just something about being able to connect with yourself. And frankly, a lot of the times, even if it's not a better idea in terms of maybe the rest of the world or what maybe other people might get from you, it might be what you need in order to be able to connect back with yourself and pursue something that maybe you should be pursuing that you haven't been because you've been letting too many other people tell you what you should be doing or shouldn't be doing. And then you get alone and you kind of go like, actually, I kind of like doing that. Or actually, I don't like doing that at all. Why am I doing this? I feel like I've had a lot of those moments recently where it's just like you get in the rat race and you get caught up in like making sure that you're excelling and you're producing and you're doing more and more and more. And then you get some alone time. It's like, I don't really even like like 60% of the things that I've been doing lately. It's like, no wonder I've been a little bit stressed or no wonder I've been not enjoying this, you know, last phase of my life. It's just like, I'm disconnected from what I feel fires me up. And which, which really, frankly, is what's driving a lot of, you know, we're here at Proprietors Reserve in, in Vegas right now filming this and we're getting set up for our first dinner party tonight. And that's like really the major push for doing all these in-person interviews, for getting a beautiful space like this, for bringing a bunch of people in for a dinner party and, and filming the whole thing. Like all of those ideas came from just alone time and recognizing that I've been moving further away from the things that I enjoy doing rather than pursuing the things that I enjoy doing, even if maybe other things could, you know, take some more of my attention. But if you're not careful, you'll just always give other things your attention. That's why I absolutely loved COVID. Now, I know a lot of people may go, ah, you know, people died. Look, I'm sorry for the pain. There's obviously no excuse for that. And, you know, my heart goes out to any family that, that lost a member. 
COVID was the greatest time of my life because as entrepreneurs, we're moving at 200 mile an hour. We don't want to slow down because our competition is also moving at 200 mile an hour. It's like trying to change the tires on a speeding vessel, you know, <laughs> speeding vehicle. And all of a sudden COVID hit, no one could do anything. And it gave us that time to go, am I happy doing what I'm doing? I actually shut two businesses down in COVID. Okay? Oh, uh both travel businesses because I felt I'd gone as far as I could mm. and I'd done as, as much as I wanted to do in that world. And I shut them down. Yeah. Okay. COVID had nothing to do with it. Me, my love, my heart wasn't in it anymore. Yeah. And also I got time to kind of really look at what I was doing. And I've been married for God, like 400 years, but <laughs> I think it's like 37 years of my life. You know, my first girl, my first kiss met at 16, been, been with her forever. I knew I loved her. But I didn't know how much I liked her. And I got to spend every single day, couldn't travel, couldn't fly, couldn't go anywhere. And so then you got to ask yourself those questions. You know, <laughs> am I doing what I like doing? You know, is this where I want to spend my energy? You know, the people, and you suddenly look at your clients and you go, do I like all of my clients? <laughs> and I realized, no, there were some I didn't. They were pricks. Right. They had a lot of money, but they were pricks. Right. So I started getting rid of some of the clients. I'm like, hang on a minute. I need to do this for my life. Yeah. The amount of spring cleaning I did during COVID, it was so therapeutic, so beautiful. And I've always tried to be me, you know, unfiltered, unapologetic. This is it. If it mm -hmm. works for you, great. Come on board. Let's play. If it doesn't, move along. We'll be yeah. fine. Yeah. But I was actually able to get clearer during COVID about what motivates and excites me hmm. and what scares me that I need to be doing more and what I can't do very well, so I need to recruit people to do. So <laughs> I absolutely love that. So I think the whole point of communication and connection really starts with you. And for anybody out there that's not jogging, rowing a boat, painting, doing martial arts, doing something where the phone is not in their back pocket, yeah. Is physically away from them. And the only conversation they're having is with, is with them in that time. Then they need to find it if they're not. Absolutely. I remember, you know, I, the reason I say this, I remember I was like 20, 21, 22. You know, I was just getting started out, out of college. And this is back when I was doing door to door sales. And a mentor at the time was like, yeah, I, I you know, some of the best ideas that I get come from me spending time alone. He's like, and when I say alone, I'm, I'm by myself and I'm not touching my phone. I'm not watching TV. I remember thinking like, I don't think I could spend any, like, that sounds boring. That sounds miserable just to like be by myself, like not hanging out with friends, like not watching TV, not playing video games, not doing anything that engages me. Like, what am I going to do? Like self-diagnosing now looking back, I think that it was just a lack of practice at the time, frankly, because I was just a, a young kid. I would never got taught how to think for myself. It was just, I got taught what to think, not how to sit there and think through problems. So I think it was just a lack of practice, first of all, but also I think it was a lack of vision because if you don't have a vision or a dream, then what are you thinking about when you're by yourself? If there's nowhere that you're going to, if you're just thinking about the immediacy and like playing video games, then you just want to find yourself playing video games or hanging out with friends or getting a beer. So it was just like, or it's lastly, and hopefully not this one, but more like you're just depressed and you're there's something about yourself that you're not okay with behaving in a way that makes you not okay with spending time with you. You know what I'm saying? Which is a much deeper problem that you would definitely need to tackle. But either way, 
that's why I say that the attempt to spend time by yourself will reveal a lot of those things. Because if you literally find yourself being attacked by your own thoughts, because you know that you're maybe behaving in a way that you personally disagree with, but you keep doing this behavior, you don't want to spend time with yourself because you start beating yourself up and nobody likes being beat up by anybody, let alone themselves. You know, so they just they constantly have yeah. a distraction on. I got to listen to music. I got to watch a movie. I got to play a video game. I got to be texting or talking to somebody or on FaceTime. There's so many distractions that if we don't take purposeful time to make sure that, hey, like it's a checkup with you and you, you know, like, hey, man, are we good? You know, like, am I behaving in a way that like makes me proud to be me? Can I spend time with myself? So if you're, you know, listening or watching next time you go for a drive, 20, 30 minutes, if you cannot sit in a car and drive for 20 or 30 minutes with zero music, zero podcasts, zero anything on, it's probably an indication that there's something not right. Either you're not okay with something that you're doing or there's nothing that you're working toward. You, there's no dream. There's no future. There's no vision. There's no, I, dude, I don't even know how, many, how often now I get lost in my thoughts and my wife kind of has to pull me back in and be like, hey, hey, you there? You know, because I'm just, I'm, I'm picturing this, this version of life that's so awesome. It's just so vivid to me that I spend a lot of time there. You know what I mean? Where I'll be on a drive from Vegas to LA and forget to turn on music for four hours. You know, it's just like me by myself, hanging out with me, thinking about where we're going to be, where we're going to be able to take the family in a few years. And it doesn't have to be in silence. And I'm sure I'm going to get locked up by this next statement. <laughs> But if someone could actually put a camera in my helmet, they would see me talking to myself. Mm. Because here's a funny thing, and here's an example. And you've been to a lot of masterminds. Mm. And I remember when I used to start going to masterminds, of course, we've been to thousands now, so we're, we're comfortable. But in the early stages, you would walk in and you'd have imposter syndrome, or you would defend yourself that you're being there. Half of the time, we don't do things because we listen to the wrong part of our mind mm. that tells us that we can't do it. And the old line, if you tell yourself you can't do it, you're right. <laughs> you know, so you need to get all of you on board with what you're doing. Now, the amount of times that, and I, I wrote about this in Blue Fishing, that I would be scared to get into an environment because there's this little devil on my shoulder going, Steve, yeah. you're going to be found out. What are you doing and here? They're going to realize that you don't know, that you're not that smart, you know, that you didn't come for money. You know, as though there's, there's something wrong with all of those things. So you've really got to be able to have that conversation with you to get all of your doubts, to get all of your insecurities on board and go, hey, guys, I know we don't know what we're doing. That's why we're going to try it so we can get education. We get everyone on board. And I literally will talk to myself, especially if I've got a, an event. Well, probably one of the biggest things people don't know about me is I'm quite introverted. Hmm. I play an extrovert very well. Yeah. But... I don't want to do these things. You've got to move the needle for me. Right. And so when I know I've got to do it, I go, well, okay, what do I want out of it? Why am I here? Is it establishing a bit of relationship? Is it because I like the people and I can grow from with this? Is it I'm promoting a book? Am I just trying to get smarter? But there's got to be a reason. An yeah. extrovert will stand on stage, take his clothes off. <laughs> as long as he's getting a clap, he's happy. But an introvert will go, why am I there? Right. What's in it for me? What's in it for the audience? So for me, I believe you've got to get yourself fine-tuned. You've got to ask yourself, what I'm about to do, does it move the needle? And then you've got to have that conversation with yourself to go, right, 
This is why we're doing it. It's going to make us feel uncomfortable, but hey, get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Right. Let's go. I'm sure that had to play into your decision to ultimately leave or shut down Bluefish, right? So for those watching or listening who may not know the story, let's talk a little bit about Bluefish and we'll talk about shutting it down. Tell me how you first got started with this and and if you had like a sentence to describe what you did for people, what would you say? Wow. Okay. So I always tell people that I wasn't in the business I was in. And that's obviously people kind of look at you and go, oh, what are you on about? So to give you the, the short and curlies, for 25 years, I run the world's probably most successful and leading experiential concierge firm. I was retained to get people down to the Titanic with James Cameron, drum lesson with Guns N' Roses, tennis lesson with the greats, walk on stage with favorite rock stars, get married in the Vatican by the Pope. Probably one of the most famous ones is the stories is the guy wanted to have a dinner experience in Florence and I shut down the Academia Galleria Museum, which houses Michelangelo's David, set up a table of six at the feet of David and then halfway through that meal, I had Andrea Bocelli serenade him. So I was known as the, the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people with really big checkbooks. That's not what I did. What I wanted to do was have a conversation with a very successful individual and go, hey, Travis, why are you successful and I'm not? Hmm. Because I came from being an East London bricklayer, poor, surrounded by a bunch of poor people. I don't want to talk to poor people arrogantly. Why? Because I know what being poor is like and it's <laughs> shit. And if you're happy being poor, you're not listening to this podcast. Yeah. The reason you're listening to this podcast is because you're aggravated to get more out of you, out of your substance, out of your solution, and out of your life, and out of your relationships. Mm. And that's what I wanted. But I was surrounded by a bunch of broke-ass bikers, and they weren't going anywhere. Yeah. So I needed to have those conversations. If getting you into this club was going to get me to have breakfast with you, hey, I'm in. If you want to meet Elton John... And then I get to have dinner with you. Hey, I'm in. So I was never in the business of the concierge industry. I was in the business of having lunch, dinner, and breakfast with you. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. So along the way, I grew this massive concierge firm that got me doing things that, okay, you know, if it makes you happy. But I've walked on probably every red carpet from Macau to LA. There's not a social calendar event that I've not been involved in over 25 years. Mm. I've worked with royalties, kings, dictators, name it, mm. you know, and I've, I've been part of it. But it wasn't something I wanted. And so when the conversation started drying up, because I'd I'd had them with the Jean-Paul de Jaurier, the Elon Musks, the Richard Bransons, the Larry Page, and, and people that you've never heard of that own things like countries, <laughs> had those conversations. And now I'm getting people going, can you get me backstage to meet Taylor Swift? And I'm like, well, for one, I don't want to do it. And for two, you're not that interested in what I have breakfast with. So <laughs> yeah. it suddenly started getting to that period. And so... It started feeling like a job again. It yeah. felt like a bunk. I'm here laying bricks. Yeah. yeah. People were like, oh, yeah, I know. Like, I would probably on a weekly basis get, hey, can you introduce me to Richard Branson? And my answer would always be the same. Yes, I can. But the question is, why should I? Yeah. You know? And if someone had something that compelled me, oh, I made the intro, but it just, I, I just didn't like it anymore. Yeah. And so and by that time, I was already speaking and coaching and training. And when my son, we launched a very successful branding company called Sims Media. I didn't need that anymore. I was having those conversations. So we were taking everything that we learned over those 25 years. And then I went, stop it. It's been fun. Yeah. You know, the end of the journey. 
stop it. And we were getting people going, oh, I need to be in this chair or, you know, I need to meet Mark Burnett because he needs to have me on his TV show or I need so-and-so because he's going to want to endorse me. We also got a lot of women that would contact us going, look, I'll pay you this because I need to be in that party because I need to get married. Hmm. I'm like, are you kidding? That's what you want? Yeah. So we just suddenly got started getting to see a side of the planet yeah, yeah. that I really didn't like playing with. and Out of alignment with what you like to do. It wasn't my style. Sure. So we closed, closed out that, and then it was a case of, what do we do now? And of course, when you do what you love, you don't look at it as a job. Yeah. And as you know, from Thailand and Thrive and all these other events I've spoken at, I've got a very successful speaking career, a very successful coaching career, a very successful branding career. So it was just good timing to go, I don't need that bit anymore. Yeah. And when you clear up stuff that you don't want to do, you've now got a chunk of the day to do more of what you do want to do. Totally. Yeah. Even if it's not something that feeds your bank account. It's like this just feeds yeah. my soul. And I actually like spending time with my family, traveling to this part of the country for a couple of days just because I want to do it and not because somebody's paying me to speak or something like that. So I've got an answer for that. So the beautiful thing about getting to talk to successful people is you get to understand how they're successful. Most people ask their idea of success with people that aren't successful. It's like the guy that's just sold his car and is now listening to financial advice from Jerry in the bar that's never left a bloody pub. You know, we listen to the wrong person, (laughs) the wrong answers. I was getting great advice for monumentally successful people. And they would teach me how what you do is the cause and the reaction. And one of them once said to me, they said, have you ever lost weight by buying a diet book? Now, he wasn't calling me fat, but the point was, no one does. You lose weight from actioning. Therefore, losing weight is a reaction to the action. If you want to make money in your bank account, don't stare at it. Do stuff that you can do easy, continually. Now, when you go for a walk down the beach with your family, when you're doing things that aren't there to make you money, it regenerates you Hmm. and makes you a finer tuned person so that when you dip your toe back in the business world, you're a fulfilled individual. Yeah. And you become more impactful and more powerful and more magnetizing to people that want to be part of that. Yeah, yeah. So I'm a great believer that you may not be making money, and I know you're a great family man. You know, I know about you and your wife. I know you're very loyal and, and you know, just, just there in mm. that moment. But that makes you a better person that people want to be with. So while you're making no money walking down, down the strip or down the park or playing the field or going on holiday, when you're back in that moment, you're more of the person that people want. So I think it's, I think it's great. You really need to spend more of your life doing stuff that you want to do so that people want to be part of you. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even 
faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is uh, the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. So what about this book? Is this something that you wanted to do? You felt like this is... Oh, God. (laughs) I was going to say. So yeah, Bluefish can come out. A little good success. Sold tens of thousands of copies. Yeah. Right. Bluefish went nuts. And I was stunned. Yeah. Because it shouldn't have sold a copy. And, (laughs) And it should have been the biggest waste of your time to read it. And it, that, that's true. And I mean that. And it's upsetting that it sold so well because it was obvious stuff that people were ignoring to do. Mm. And interesting. Like you put this whole thing on to, to grow the relationships. Mm. People are picking up a business card and thinking they've got a relationship or a friend on Facebook and think they've got a relationship. They see the same person at the seminar every year and think they're in a relationship. They are not. And so Blue Fishing came out going, look, when you want to do this, do this, this, and this. And people were like, oh, that's just... And I had billionaire clients that were reading my book going, never thought of that. And I'm like, why not? <laughs> it's so simple. Why? And they're like, oh, no. People will throw $10,000 at a problem rather than look at why they got the problem in the first place. Mm. You know? It's the classic squeaky wheelbarrow. Right. You don't use right. it, but you'll, you'll oil the wheel once a year. Never fucking used the thing. And so it was that kind of mentality. So I did blue fishing and it took off and of course got me all the coaching, all the stuff I did. And then COVID came along. And if you'd have phoned me up a week before COVID and went, Hey, Steve, are you going to write a second book? I'd have been like, Travis, shut up. (laughs) Lunacy. Because anyone that's writing a book, it's kind of like being interviewed by yourself. And it wipes you out. Yeah. You, you sometimes, you're putting this stuff in a book and then you can't sleep that night because you're thinking, whoa, it's like therapy. I remember some days going through stuff and then going, I'm talking about this in the book. I do some of that, but I don't do all, I've got to start doing that again. And I didn't realize I did that. And I, you don't sleep. So when the book came out and you also get people contacting you from all over the world. Oh, this I did. And yeah, I split up with my wife because it wasn't the relationship that was working. And I'm like, shit. 
You yeah, know? that's heavy. Yeah. You know? And so there's all these kind of things. That, and I had people going, I didn't realize, I had one guy contact me. He said, I realized I didn't have a relationship with my kids. Wow. And I'm like, I don't know you. Right. I've never met you. Like you got that from this book? Yes. Yeah. But he said, I need to focus on my relationships. Yeah. Because we know, we, we can download a, a YouTube video now that will tell us how to build a bridge. Probably, there's probably one on there that'll tell you how to do open heart surgery. <laughs> but there's no one, that, no video on there that will make the relationship work for you. That's your work. You've mm. got to action it. So blue fishing came out. It was a beast that I just had to feed. And I didn't want to ever do one again. And then COVID came across. And boy, did I get pissed off at the beginning of COVID. Because how many people did you see jumping on Netflix or jumping on going, hey, what shall I binge watch on Netflix? How else can I waste my life? <laughs> yeah, right. And I'm like, I all of a sudden have this free time. You know, the one thing that I keep blaming everything in my life on is no longer there. And now that it's no longer there, what I'm going to do, instead of doing action on any of the other things that I've always said I was going to do, if I had the time, I'm going to watch 12 seasons the of only my thing, these four shows. Apart from the only other thing that I can't get is time. Yeah. COVID came across and went, Sims, you're not going to fly anywhere. Now, here's the daft thing. I had a list of people that I wanted to connect. They weren't going anywhere. Mm. Everyone that I hadn't been able to contact... For like 10 years, I'd always wanted to have a conversation with. I was now able to have a conversation with. Within four months, my entire list. I don't have a list of people that I wanted to connect with anymore because I managed to do it in COVID. <laughs> and I'm in COVID going, hey, ladies and gents, we've now got a nine-day week. We got all of this time. Let's see how we can use it. And I remember saying to someone that what's not going to happen, you are going to die. We all know that. We just hope it's not tomorrow, but we're all going to die. We are not going to get someone come down and go, whoa, 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 time out, Steve. Do you remember that two and a half years you lost out of COVID? Let's start the clock again because you get that back. That's not going to happen. That shit's gone. And I saw all of these people wasting their life. And I was enjoying it. And I was walking the dog and I'm having conversations that would last well into the afternoon with my wife. And I'm having conversations with myself. Just sitting in the garden, drinking a cappuccino with my dogs going, why didn't I ever implement that? Why am I doing that when A, I'm not qualified to do it. I'll get a VA in the Philippines to do it at $10 a month. <laughs> or B, why do it at all? Because I don't even like it. Let's get rid of that. So I start going through it and I'm not, you know this, I'm not good at being subtle. <laughs> so I started to put this shit on Facebook and I said, you, you asked me what to binge watch from Netflix. You, you're gone. I'm blocking you from my feed. And someone said to me, you should start writing this shit out a little bit. So I started doing blogs. Okay. Bit by bit, it started. And I, someone said, you need to put this in a book. Now, during COVID, right at the beginning, apart from the binge watchers, there were a lot of people that were screaming the exact same anthem. Oh, COVID, I can't connect with people. Zoom, FaceTime. Let's forget about those for a second. Phones. Yeah. Let's forget about those for a minute. Right. I can't connect with people. Do you remember those people going, oh, I can't go down to the gym? When that fat ass wasn't going down to the gym before COVID. <laughs> but it was the period of excuses now. Right. Now, we couldn't connect with each other. We couldn't. 
make relationships with each other. But then what happened during COVID? All of a sudden, we started like attacking each other. Hmm. And the thing that suddenly got invented during COVID, cancel culture. Let's find out something that you did that was inappropriate in 1984, and then let's fuck your career for it. Right. You know, right. you dressed up as a penguin. How insensitive to penguins. Let's screw your career. Right. And we did that. Didn't matter if it was truth. We started throwing shit at everyone. And we ended up with the gotcha society. And people were scared to say something just in case a snippet of it was taken out of context, boomeranged, and is now on TikTok until you die. And then all of a sudden, other things happened. Me too. Black Lives Matter. Asian hate. Trump. All of these things that we needed to have discussions on. We needed to have conversations on. It was healthy enough to have a protest. But who was going to say anything? Who was actually going to remark and have an opinion on it or ask questions? Who was going to look ignorant enough to go, I didn't know there was a problem. Yeah. Educate me because now you look stupid. So now what are we doing in a time when we are not connecting and communicating? We're now terrified to communicate. So this was pissing me off. If you say something and I don't agree with it, I'm going to go, Travis, I don't understand that opinion. Yeah, where's it coming from? Yeah. And I want to know where it's coming from so that I can relate to it. Maybe not agree with it, but understand ah, that's how you got it. Right. If you are born in a racist family and you grow up being taught racism, who's to blame? But now we've got the chance to go, hey, your family didn't do the best to you. You understand that because of those that you love said it, mm -hmm. you know? But do you understand why this maybe should be? Uh, yeah, we've got the chance with our words yeah. to help each other. But everyone's terrified of social media now and they're frightened. And that also translates into your dreams. Here's an example. As an entrepreneur, we realize we don't fit in. But how many times, and for anyone watching or listening to this, how many times have you, the listener, sat in your coffee bar, sat in a bar, sadly sat at a family event like Christmas, birthday or something like that, and you're chatting with everyone and everything's going well and you talk about the business that you're in and you're talking about how you want to scale it and then you're going to franchise that element and then you're going to move into this and then you're going to write a book on it and you look around everyone around you and they're looking at you like you've just been, you know, taken over by an alien. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, well, he's gone mad. <laughs> he's gone crazy. And you see that it's like a deer in headlights and you suddenly realize that everyone's staring at you. And all of a sudden, you're faced with only two opportunities. One, walk out of that room, which you don't do. So what do you do? You go, oh, excuse me. I don't know what I was thinking. Someone must have spiked me trifle. <laughs> I was having a crazy <laughs> moment. And you dilute your dreams and aspirations. Yeah. You become a less, lesser version of yourself. You do. But who do we admire today? Elon Musk, Larry Page, Richard Branson, Steve Jobs, Henry Ford, Walt Disney, every single one of these people were publicly mocked. Elon's mocked on a daily basis, but he's ridiculed. Mm -hmm. But we admire him. You've got to be in a position today 
where you want to make sure you go for stupid goals. And I'll play a little game with it. Did you drive? Have you got a car or something? Mm -hmm. What car you got? I have a 2015 Toyota Camry. Camry, what is that, an SUV? No, it's a sedan. Oh, it's, it's a, a sedan. Yeah. Okay, so, so it's a car. Just a car. I ride bikes. I don't know shit. Yeah. All right, do you want a truck? Yes. You do? What I truck do you want? Tundra. You want a Tundra? No, I have a Tundra. Oh, you yeah, have a Tundra? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, both, yeah. So do you want a new truck? Sure. Yeah? Yes. What would it be? Probably a Tundra. Just the newer, updated version of the Tundra, yeah. All right, cool. All right. What about the uh, the Elon Musk Tesla truck? You, oh, yeah, I'll take one of those. Cybertruck. Yeah, the Cybertruck. Yeah. That was what it was called. Yep. Do you remember seeing it being un unveiled? Yes. Right, okay. The entire planet watched that. Yep. Now, I've used this example on other podcasts. I was being podcast the other week in, I did an Australian and I did a Korean one. And I, both of these people said, yes, the girl in Korea that podcast me, she said, we have push bikes. We don't have cars in the family. She said, but I saw the cyber truck being unveiled. So Elon grabbed the attention of the planet with this cyber truck. Let's be blunt. It's kind of a weird looking thing, isn't it? It is. Apart from the fact that it's got round wheels, <laughs> it doesn't have anything else similar to the Tundra truck, does right, it? Right. Okay. Different drivetrain, different look, different composites, everything. He then put up during the unveiling the chance for you to buy a slot, a pre-slot for to get a cyber truck in the future, which I think they've only just started going into construction, haven't they? Yeah. I've, I haven't seen any on the street for sure. I think they're no. still pre-production. Yeah. During that unveiling, Every single slot got sold out. So let's break that down for the world of entrepreneurs. He gained the attention of the planet, regardless of where you were, regardless of whether or not you even wanted to buy a truck, he grabbed your attention. Yeah. He then sold out every single opportunity to purchase something before he even built a factory to build what he sold. Okay? Is this, this is good stuff, yeah? yeah. What entrepreneur would not like to be in a position where they sold out every package before they made it? Before they made it. But what was the headlines the following day? Yeah, the Cybertruck didn't hold up when he did the window test or whatever. The window. Yeah. So every single headline mocked him. Yeah. For the, the bulletproof glass didn't work. Yeah. Now, let's be blunt. If bulletproof glass is one of the specifics you need when buying a new truck, you got a bigger problem. Yeah, right. Okay? But that was the news. The society didn't revere him for building something just yeah. weirdly different. Not Elon Musk sells out a futuristic truck in an he, afternoon. Yeah, yeah, Elon Musk sells out everything in a two-hour webinar. Before being built. Yeah. No, we had to take the piss. Right. The society has moved into a amplified cancerous yeah. toxic environment where anyone that wants to stand up and stand out is there to be ridiculed. But all the superstars today that we would change places with in a heartbeat, Jeff Bezos, Larry Page, Elon Musk, all of these people, they're not listening. They don't care. Right. Elon Musk once said to me when we were walking through SpaceX, they will always laugh at you just before they applaud. Mm. And it got me aggravated. I wondered if the problem with today's society was the news. Because let's be serious, we assassinated the news during COVID, didn't we? Mm -hmm. Fake news, everything's fake, 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 all the time. We've just got more news today. Yeah. We were shitheads back then 
Henry Ford, do you know they actually protested against Henry Ford? Yeah. And the reason they protested against him was because that car couldn't go through the woods like the horse did. <laughs> and Ford's, Ford's very famous quote, if I listened to the people, I'd have made a faster horse. Right. You know? But you can't listen to those people that don't know. You've got to be willing to stand up. You've got to be willing to be laughed at. You've got to go for such an audacious goal that it will be ridiculed. And when people are ready to laugh at you, then you know you're in the right path. Yeah. And I thought, just imagine a world where we actually supported ridiculous goals. And we are actually terrified of telling people our ridiculous goal. Yeah. So anyway, so I started doing the, the blog, started doing the memes, ended up going into a book, and I thought, again, I've got nine day week here. Yeah. I ain't going anywhere. I wonder. And so I literally went out to a few people and I went, look, this is what's bothering me. And I'd like to put a book together to show you how the most powerful people in the planet overcome it, how I overcome it, how a bricklayer from London can be communicating with Elon Musk and the Pope. You know, if I can be doing it, shit, you're already out of excuses. <laughs> Would you like that book? Would you like that album? And I got a lot of people say yes. So I put it out there and it came out in October this year. Go for Stupid, The Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals. And it's doing really, really well. And when I say it's doing really, really well, anyone that's out there thinking that they're going to buy a mansion on the beach by selling a book, <laughs> you're wrong. That doesn't happen. <laughs> but the reason and the, the benchmark that I believe is doing well is the response and the action people are taking from reading it. Mm. And I'm getting people literally contacting me with that stupid goal. And I'm loving it. Yeah. Is that daring a dream? And they're like, hang on a minute. I want to be part of the solution to today's problem. We want more of those solutions. Yeah, absolutely. You summed it up perfectly talking about kind of that force of average that's on everybody, you know, the crabs in the bucket of society where it's just the reason people don't want to support everybody else's goals is because they secretly hope that they fail. Oh, yeah. Because it's such a, it's a contrast to their lack of willingness to a chase after their stupid goals or maybe even their lack of clarity around you know what they even want in life and and just kind it's of sinking into standards. mediocrity what yeah. are you willing to settle for yeah and are you willing to reduce your standards to meet theirs or do you want to keep your high standards and have them come up right see the funny thing about standards is when you have high standards people actually want to live up to your standards mm -hmm. i had a friend of mine said that you know he wanted to change his standards and he didn't have a lot of money i said look you got to start with you. You know, you've got to start with what you're willing to accept. And he always used to go down to the pub. And I said, look, I've seen you down the pub. You look like a piece of shit. You look like a homeless person. Hmm. You've got to start demanding more of you. So we started going down the pub and he'd wear like a little polo shirt or, you know, just a clean pair of jeans and just look a little shut, a nice pair of shiny sneakers. And some of his mates noticed. And in the early stages, they started jeering at him. And he said, you know, it only took a month. When all of a sudden, when we started to get, get we looked sharp. Hmm. You know, we actually started. The whole crew started dressing the up. The whole crew yeah. started to kind of like move up to his, his standard. standard. There's always got to be one. And that's it. You can be the one. Right. You can be the one. And if the other people don't ever level up, then that's when you know you got to go find some different people. In that room. You've done yeah. great rooms. You know, yeah. you've done masterminds and you've had people in. And anyone that turns up, suddenly realizes that they're always worried because they don't fit in 
Yeah. And then they realized they were never built to. And so when you go to masterminds, and as I say, me and you go to a lot of masterminds, we go to these because they're Hogwarts. Right. We're the weird kids. Yep, exactly. And then you get in that room and you go, do you know I'm not weird enough? Right. You know? When everybody's connecting on the the family dinners where they're being mocked, you know, and, and they're, they, you know, everybody's got that same story, man. It was just like, I'm explaining what I want to do. And then people are like, well, that doesn't sound very realistic. Well, you know, I don't want you to fail. You know, well, you know, you, you had those same goals when you were a kid. You know, just don't, don't get too wrapped up in the final. You know, it's just like. You, you, there's so much containment. And then when you go hang out with people who think the same way that you think, you kind of realize like, oh, it's okay to be this way. I'll give you, you my know? Jay story. And I've told this story loads of times. I came up with a business plan. First time and only time in my life I've ever done a business plan. Okay. Right? Ever. So I did this business plan. I spent time on it and it had graphs and it had pretty pie charts and all this kind of shit in it. And uh, I was speaking to Jay Abraham, and he's a neighbor of mine, and a good neighbor to have. And I said, Jay, you need to get involved in this deal with me. It'll make us a fortune very quickly. You need it, yeah. And he's like, well, you know, I'm working on other things, but come on down and share with me your, your plan. So I went down, I saw Jay, and I gave him this presentation. And I went through this business plan. And it was brilliant. And it had stats and charts and pictures. It was great. And at the end of it, he just looked at me with his little smirk and he went, is that it? I thought, what, the <laughs> what do you mean, Jay? I went, Jay, based on this, we were like X times our money within a month. Yeah. And he just looked at me and he went, well, knowing you, knowing your enthusiasm, your passion and your connections, I was just expecting a little more. <laughs> and I thought, shit. I had literally... As I was building this, I was listening to the wrong people. Hmm. What we ended up doing was we ended up basically killing that deal, taking like about 5% of what was being offered and trebling what was the outcome going to be in any case. Because we knew that we needed to dream bigger hmm. and achieve bigger. And you can only do that when you're willing to go big. Right. I'm not saying gamble your house sure. on, sure. on black. Because that's not actually action. That's just praying. That's like buying a lot of lottery tickets. Right. But a so-so idea with implementation will always outperform perfection. There's never action. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I'm a great believer, and Harvey Mizell gave me this one, get going and then get good. Mm. Yeah. So that, that was it for me. You've really got to push yourself. Yeah. And that's why I like hanging around with weird kids. Yeah. Because we push each other. We realize that, you know, we're sitting and we've all had this. I, I've got family now that I don't mind talking to and I'll tell a few jokes to. But when it gets down to the business, I'll be like, Joey, you know, we can't talk about business. Yeah. You know, you're in your place. I'm in mine. I had a cousin of mine that, that was starting a new business and I sat him down five or six years ago. I sat him down. I went, okay, let's, let's work. Through. And we mapped it out. And then when I came back from the thing, I'd sent all of this stuff over to one of my team. They put it into a schedule. They sent it over to him. And then I said, oh, follow up with him in a month's time. And they did that for three months running. And he was busy on other stuff. And then about a year later, I bumped into him again at another family event. And I didn't want to have the conversation with him. Right. He's like, oh, Steve, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll sorry. But I've been so busy. On what? Right. Well, this came up, that came up. Oh, great. Okay, so we got the excuses. Totally. He's like, 
can, can we go out and no. I gave you me. I gave you one of my team. Yep. And I wrote you out the plan. Three months you had us. I didn't charge you. Right. But you get, and so now you want me to waste more time? What I will do is you pay me. And I actually, I said, you pay me and I'll do it with you. And he was like, you're going to charge your family. I said, well, when I didn't, you did fuck all with right, it. Right. Exactly. I'm just hoping that if you put, put skin in the game now, you'll be willing to do something. When you pay, you pay attention. Exactly. And he yeah. obviously didn't. So, and guess what? He didn't pay. He spread it that I was selfish and up myself. And he still works for the same person that he worked for back those six years later. Of course. Of course. That's how it goes. It, at the end of the day, you can't execute for people. No, you can't. One of the worst, honestly, one of the worst parts to me about coaching or running masterminds is that one expectation that people come to. Now, I, before I work with people, I make sure that they know. I'm like, look, I'm pretty confident in the things that I've learned to date. And if you execute these things, you will get X results. Yeah. But it's on you to execute these things. Do not come to me in four months from now and be like, well, you know, you said I would get these results and <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And it's like, right. But you have to actually do shit. Like, yes. I can't do everything for you. Like, you, yeah. like knowledge is, is one part of the equation. Is it an important part? Yeah, it's an important part. And the reason you pay a coach is so you don't have to take 10 years to figure out that knowledge. You get the knowledge in a couple of months. But the execution is still required. Yeah. Regardless. Like, either way, you're still going to have to do a little bit of work here. And it, it makes it so much more difficult with, with family or, or close friends or whatever, because you, you, you want to help you. It's yeah. a genuine desire to see people succeed, especially those that are closest to you or people you share blood with. You just get, you just want it. You want them to do well. And that's, but, and that's sometimes the, the downside is those ones that are closest to you are usually the ones that you can't help. Right. You know, and they have this weird, time. they have this weird, I don't know if you've experienced this kind of like a weird bias when it comes to you, because they've known you since you were the kid running around London. I, yeah, right. Yeah. They, they know that version of you. Yes. And so like in their mind, there's almost this like this aversion to listening to what you have to say, because they really at their core still look at you as that version of you, yeah. even though you've surpassed that. Ver like I've definitely experienced that where people that are coming into my world have more immediate respect for me than even people who've known me for a really long time because oh, yeah. they knew this previous version of me. There was a and contempt. they can't, yeah, they can't, exactly. Yeah, they, there's a little bit of contempt and they can't equate who I was with who I am. But people coming into my world are like, this guy's great, you know, because yeah. they only see who it I does, am. It does happen. Yeah. But you can't run in shackles. Right. So you, you really got to realize that it is possible for you to outgrow your room. Mm-hmm. And you've got to move on. I remember a while back, and I was actually talking about this conversation this morning on the phone. I remember years back, I had a bit of money. And it, it wasn't a great deal of money. But for me at the time, I was like, well, I'm doing quite well. And I was throwing an event. And I had everyone in that room. The, the poorest guy in there was making like 10 mil, hmm. you know. And I remember sitting at this table. And, and I was just, for some reason, I was in a downer. Mm. Not, it wasn't a case of, oh, I'm not good enough to be in this room because it was my event. Yeah, okay. Right. So, you know, these people are paying me right. to be at my event. But I was like, oh, shit, all of these people are way more successful. 
so much richer than me. Oh, my God. There was this annoyance mm. in me, and there was one of them that I knew very well, and so I was a little bit more open. And he said to me, he said, you're a little bit down. What's up with you? And I went, I work hard. You know, I work damn hard, and I'm in this room, and, you know, I, I don't want this to come across as contempt or, you know, yeah. uh, just feeling resentment, but everyone in this room is far superiorly smarter, educated, wealthier, successful than me. And he just looked and he smoked and he went, well, isn't that the room you want to be in? Shit. <laughs> yes, it is. Damn it. Literally just <laughs> within a heartbeat, I'm like, this is the room. Right. So when you're right. in that room of the contempting friends, that's the time you've got to leave those friends. Yeah. And it's a tough one. And there are people out there. And there are people still that are on my Facebook feed that I knew that I used to roll around with that every now and then there'd be a little snidey comment about, Oh, I remember when I when I bought you gas because you couldn't pay for gas to get your bike home. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you did. Yeah. And so you know, <laughs> you know where's this going? <laughs> but like there's there's some boys that that I still still knock every time I'm back in London, there's a couple of boys that I'll always hook up with, we'll go out, we'll drink. I'll always pay for the bar tab. And I've yep. told them this, okay? I'm paying for the bar tab that night. I'm paying for the food because mm -hmm. you eat at shitty places and I like good whiskey and I like good food. Yeah. So now that we got this out of the way, that whenever I'm there, I'm paying. You just make sure you bring the inappropriate jokes. Right. Exactly. Good. Exactly. And, but there's other boys that, that won't. Yeah. You know, because they just, they feel that they can't have a conversation with me. And in fairness, that's fine. If, you, if you're that way. Right. Fine. Right. Yeah, there is that kind of the childhood friends that are that are more almost like brothers than they are just friends of yours or whatever you know that it doesn't matter where you are it doesn't matter if you were you know talking to the pope the day before and elon musk the day before that when you show up with them you're just one of the boys and you just want to hang out drink some beer tell some some inappropriate jokes and have a good time you know exactly and, and that's what i try to tell people too is like you know obviously i'm the, the relationship guy and so it's just like yeah but I, I, there, there's a lot of value in leaving, you know, unhealthy or poisonous relationships. But whenever I tell, whenever I give anybody advice around it, it's usually like, you don't have to make this decision to cut off people in your life as much as you need to make the decision to go get around better people. And if you do that more often than you make the decision to go hang out with the other people, then those people are probably not going to want to hang out with you that often. You know what I'm saying? Instead of me saying like, you know, I'm cutting you all off because I need better friends. It's more just like, I'm going to go on purpose, hang out with some of these people. And it's like, oh, these people hit me up and say, hey, let's go drinking on Saturday. And I'm at a business event in LA. Well, I can't go drinking with you guys on Saturday because I'm at a business event in LA and I'm hanging out with these other people who were talking about all these other goals and dreams and stuff. Well, the seventh time of that happening, these people are going to just kind of maybe not hit you up the next time. You know, it'll, it'll just, it happens naturally as you continue to level yourself up. You know, I, I feel like yeah, uh, you don't have to be an asshole and be like, you know, nope, you guys are just not good enough for me. You know, it's more just like, I'm, I'm making I a decision. <laughs> but then everyone knows I'm a prick. But you've always been exceptional. And I'll, I'll say this and you can use this as a soundbite for anyone listening to this. You really are a master of relationships. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that. I've seen the way that you've always tried to push yourself. And here's, here's the thing I noticed about you. 
you've always tried to make sure that you are worthy of the relationship. Mm. A lot of people get into the relationship because, hey, it benefits me. Benefits me to know Elon Musk. It benefits me to know Steve Sims. But you've always come across going, hey, what can I do to make me worthy of this relationship? How can I enhance your, how can I help introduce you to, even this dinner series? Yeah. You know? Yeah, you're putting it on. You're, you're the hostess with the mostest, but you're making sure that there are people in there that it's going to grow that relationship. I already know some of the people coming tonight, but I know that it's going to enhance right. my relationship. So you've always been a great conduit of making sure that the relationships that are around you are actually relationships and not connections, not business clubs. Right. right. And there's a lot of people out there and we won't, we won't mention their names and trust me, I really want to because he's an arse and he knows who he is. There are people out there that just think they're phenomenal connectors and they really ain't. They just get the business card and think. I think I know it. who you're talking about, but I, I also won't say. About. We won't mention. <laughs> there were too, sadly, there's too many of them out there that don't understand what a relationship right. actually is. Like you said, it's a huge difference between a relationship and a connection. A relationship Not is a two-way street. Yeah. You know, a connection is a one-way. It's like, I have a connection. It's a transaction. Right. It's like, yeah. I'll only approach you if I have a deal, if there's something to be done. It's like, if it's a relationship, it's a, it's a two-way street. There's give and take. And if you don't have any value to offer to high-level relationships, you just don't get to stay around those people. There's too many opportunities for those people. So you have to come to the table with something. And today... We're not tolerant. Again, this is COVID. Today, we're not tolerant. We're pissed off. We've been sold to. We've been lied to. Yeah. We've been conspiracy, conspiracy theories up the wazoo. We're annoyed. Mm -hmm. And we see through those flaky, fake people real quick now. Right. And that's a good thing. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think people, we need to be more transparent. We need to work. Relationships have to be worked at. Yeah. You know? Anyone... I'm sure shit you've had arguments with your wife. Yep. You know? But isn't that what makes the following day better? Right. Because you learn from it. And it provides a depth to a relationship that it can't be replicated with anybody else. You know oh, what I'm saying? Yeah, like the yeah. if, if you're if you get whenever my wife and I have those types of conversations that turn into heated conversations that turn into arguments, it allows you to get to know that person more than you know, there's zero people on this planet that I know as well as her. And and I'm sure she would say the same thing, but similar to you, we've been together since I was 16. There's every part of our, our adult lives have been lived together. Yeah. We've experienced the downs, the ups, the roller coasters, and we've had God knows how many difficult conversations that have made us, left us both heated, especially because we both started our adult lives believing a certain thing about the world. And now we've come around to a completely different idea in terms of like religion and values and morals and everything about us has completely changed in the last decade. Yeah. And to go through that requires many, many sleepless nights, difficult conversations if you're going to get through it. But if you get through it on the other end, it's like, well, there's zero other people in my life that I know that well. And to your point, when we all get together and, and we get to have conversations, we get to hang out or whether it's on, you know, some market in Phuket and a cowboy. Do you remember that cowboy bar cowboy we sat bar. at? Yeah. It was so was wild. Like, yeah. The only thing that looked familiar. It was just like, yeah, it was just like a random, it's just Phuket street market, which is a massive street market. Yeah. But then like in the middle of it was just this like, like 10 by 10, like probably from that wall to this oh, chair, yeah. cowboy bar and you, me, I think Francisco, somebody else is there. We just like sad bullshit for an hour, had two or three 
Thai beers and went back to the went back to the spot. But yeah. like regard like those are the types of things that that really turn into like, oh, this is a friend of mine rather than like, oh, I met him at an event once. You know what I mean? It's just such a massive difference. It's a classic, between those two it's a classic prairie dog. I, I don't do networking events. Yeah. But I remember I went along to this, this networking event and this this guy came over to me and he, he starts talking to me and he wanted a business card and I don't have business cards. And so that was him done. He was just trying to get the mm. business card. I was like, I don't care. Business. Well, how do I get out of here? You know, so and so. So, oh yeah, great. And as soon as he had got that, it was Prairie Doggy. Next, like, who else is in the room? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me. I've got to get someone to introduce you. And he thought by that, yeah, was the relationship. Well, if you have an empty relationship with that person, yep. How can they introduce you to somebody? Because you're coming in. Cold. If I turn around to someone I know and I go, you need to speak to Travis. Yeah. Or you, if you, like you have done, you've gone, you've got to speak to Steve. They know that there's a reason because you value relationships. But if this person's just doing it as a, as a you know, collection of business cards, right. it's an empty gesture. Right. And it's read as such. Yeah. You can't, you can't KPI the relationship. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah. Which is hard for some people to understand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I want to talk a little bit more about your book and then we'll get you out of here. Art of Achieving Ridiculous Goals. And to be, when I saw that you wrote this, I was like, this is such a perfect topic for Steve to cover. There's very few people I think could cover it very well. And you're one of them because of where you came from and because of where you ended up. And if there's anything that I've learned about expanding the way that I think, it's that everything changes when you start thinking bigger. If you're thinking, how can we increase production by 5% this year, then it's probably by just doing a little bit more of the same that you're currently doing. But if you're thinking, how can we increase by 1000% this year, you all of a sudden have to reinvent your business model. You have to reinvent your processes. You have to build technology that's innovative, that allows you to scale at that size. You have to meet somebody very, very important, or you have to like there's some, there's a big action that you're going to have to take that you would have never thought about or been forced to, to think about had you not started with this like ostentatious goal that seemed completely out of reach for yourself. What are besides that some kind of side effects or bonuses in your mind that's probably in this book about why it's important to go for these ridiculous goals? Well, for a start, the title was one that we came up with probably about 18 years ago. Okay. It just never had a book attached to it. People used to come to us and used to go, hey, I, I want to do this. We'd be like, okay, great. We've got the request. Now, very similar to relationships. If I gave them what they asked for, yeah, I've just completed a transaction. And I'm the same as Amazon. Yeah. You know, no one has a relationship with Amazon. It's a transaction. <laughs> so we always used to get these requests and we go, okay, now how can we make this stupid? Yeah. We would never use the word impossible. You know, we would never recognize it. Take that. That's the Voldemort of words. Right. Take it out of your vocabulary. How can I make this laugh? Yeah. Let's start and with you, the assumption that it is possible. But straight yeah. off the bat. Right. And you said about, you know, what you can achieve. What do you know what you can achieve if you've never tried? Right. right. So we would, and, and here's the daft thing about stupid goals and kind of what makes them allowed. You're going to fail at 99.9% .9 of them. So why not fail 30 times further than where you were going for? Right. See, everyone's going to turn around and go, oh, yeah, I want this out of my life. It's that 5%. If I just crank this wheel a little bit, right. I'm going to. 
If you want to make a hundred thousand dollars a month, go for 500, you know, build a plan to achieve that five, build the systems that will achieve that five, get the team in place that will achieve that five and fail and make 350. Every time I've gone for something, the story about Bocelli, okay? I had a guy that wanted an amazing dining experience. I could have gone on the Italian version of Open Table, picked up a, a major Michelin star restaurant, and then contacted him and got the chef to pop out and gone, you know, it's so good to see you this evening. Please take a visit of my kitchen. And he'd have been happy with that. Yeah. Because that was, was all he asked for was an he amazing only asked dining, for experience. dining experience. Wow. Okay. That was it. I went there and I went, okay, what's the stupidest thing I can do with this? And if you're going to do something in Paris, where is obviously the most Parisian place in the planet that can only be in Paris? The Eiffel Tower. Bingo. All right. So we thought, what is the Eiffel Tower of Florence? Now, the Uffizi Galleria has loads of artwork. That if you don't know about art, could be Amsterdam, could be you know, Poland, mm -hmm. could be London, mm -hmm. could be France. But the only thing that makes Florence, Florence, is David. Mm. Michelangelo's David. The only piece of Michelangelo's work outside of Rome is housed in the Accademia de Galleria in Florence. Okay? The idea of having a dinner at the feet of the most famous statue in the world is a stupid goal. <laughs> There's one to go for. Okay? The daft thing is, when you keep going for stupid goals... You start getting them. Yeah, right. <laughs> we got it. And I literally went back to my hotel room and I was standing at the Savoy and I was like, shit. Yeah. Because I literally was thinking, well, when they say no, then I'll start with some backups. Sure. But they said yes. Because I had literally, it become a habit of me asking for ridiculous goals. Right. That I started to get people to go, whoa, well, if he's asking, he must know what he's doing. Right. He must be, so we'll give it to him. <laughs> and they gave it to me. So I remember sitting there and I phoned up Claire, my wife, back here in LA. And I went, do you remember I said to you that stupid thing? That I was going, oh, oh, yeah. And she actually said to me, so where are you going to try next? Yeah. How colossal was the failure? Yeah. Yeah. She said, where, where are you going to try next? I went, no. They said, yes. She went, really great. Yeah. She said, that's brilliant. And of course, entrepreneurs, I went, but how can I make it better? Yeah. She's like, hang on a minute, you got the place you wanted. Yeah, I did. But I got two days before the dinner. How can I take it bigger? Yeah. And of course, when you think of the, like, if, if you think of Italy, the most famous person in Italy, the Pope, doesn't tend to do a lot of singing. <laughs> and the most, the most famous Italian singer, Pavarotti, and he doesn't get out much now since he died years ago. <laughs> so... The maestro himself, Andrea Bocelli. Yeah. And I remember contacting, contacting someone I knew in LA in the music industry. They gave me his agent in London. And when I said, I want Andrea Bocelli to come into my dinner party and serenade my clients while they eat the pasta. He turned around and he said, sounds great. I'll get back to you. Hung up. He never took my phone number. So I knew I wasn't getting a call back. So then I'd already been working with some other people in Italy. I contacted them and I went, do you know Andrea Bocelli? And they went, yeah, we do. And I had to phone enough people mm -hmm. that one of them said, yeah, I do. And I went, this is my stupid, over-the-top dining experience that can only be completed with the maestro himself. Yeah. I got a call back from Veronica Bocelli herself. Oh, no way. She went, 
It's in two days' time. And do you know the funny thing was? Now, of course, there's always a payment that's got to be paid. Of course. You know? And once we'd all agreed on everything, I suddenly realized that America wasn't open. So for me to transfer the money, I was going to have to wait for the following morning. And then once they initiated it, it wouldn't land until the following morning, which is the morning after I need him. Hmm. And I didn't have a credit card big enough for that balance. Yeah, right. So I contacted him and I went, I just realized you're not going to get the money it's until the following. See, God, I got to trust me. Right. And she said something that really made me feel good. She said, based on who called me, I think we can trust you. Hmm. And I suddenly realized it wasn't the money. It was that relationship because yeah. of who had called her. They And my standing joke was I had Bocelli on credit for the night. <laughs> so, but it was all to do with relationships. Everything I had got, yeah, I had got based on relationships. Mm. That's that's insane, man. That, I think that's why that story gets brought up so much because it's like the pinnacle of everything that you talk about, which is let's start with something crazy and then let's go crazier and let's see if we can do all of it, you know. And sometimes you fall flat, but like to your point, it's like if you're going to take ten swings, you know, that nine of them are going to fall flat at least the last one is going to be awesome <laughs> you know like what i what i've found in a lesser example but similar principle is like getting guests for my podcast and stuff like that a lot of times it's easier to get the biggest people than it is to get the medium level people because the biggest people look at everybody down here is about the same to them you know, you know what i'm saying like if they're up here in terms of status stature yeah. influence money they don't need anything from anybody. They truly are in a fuck you position in life. Then like, they're not worried if they do something that's for this person or they do something for this person. They, it's all the same to them. It all yeah. exists in the same ecosystem. Whereas this person is worried about helping this person because they don't want to look too bad to this person. So they say, no, you know what I mean? Then you just like, if I'm going to take the swings, I'm going to take the swings, you know? And that's, it's all, it never ceases to surprise me the type and quality of people that are just like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. You know, yeah, just because you're willing classic, to go for the ask. It's the classic failure syndrome. You know, it, if you know you're going to succeed, how many times does it matter that you fail? Mm, yeah. You know, because you've only got to succeed at anything once. Right. Again, let's pick on Elon Musk. Yeah, you've seen those rockets that used to come off of the side the, the gas tanks, basically, off the rocket, and then they would land on the floating platform, tip over, and explode. Mm -hmm. Remember seeing those? Mm -hmm. Everyone did, because it made news. When was the last time you saw it? I don't know. It's been a while. It's been a while, because it hasn't failed. Yeah. So it doesn't make the news anymore. Right. As soon as he, I remember when, and I was, you know, rolling around SpaceX when these conversations were happening, but they realized the most expensive, or one of the most expensive things of a rocket was the fact that these massive great fuel cells would end up getting into space and then just become space debris. Hmm. If we could get them back, fill them up, send them back up again, it, reusable gas tanks, whoa, saved billions. Hmm. But they would go from out of space and landing on a floating pad in the middle of the ocean. That in itself is miraculous. Right, right. But then the gyroscope wouldn't work, it'd fall over, and it would explode, and everyone would mock him. Yeah. Oh, billions of dollars have got up. He only had to get it once right. Mm -hmm. You've never seen it since. Right. Yep. The fact is, 
a lot of people look at failure as a bad thing. I walked into a party up in London, and I won't mention his name because he's very famous. And we walked into this party. We'd gone up in the elevator. Doors opened up. We walked out, and he looked around the room, and he went, excellent. It's a room full of failures. <laughs> and I was like, and some of the people in this room <laughs> yeah. were like major influencers. Yeah. Evidently, right? like, not failures. Uh, yeah, yeah by some definition. of the most successful powerful people in the planet if yeah. i named a few of them you were like yep yep yeah and i was like shit that's a bit rude a bit arrogant and he looked at me and he went no 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 you get it wrong steve yeah, yeah this room is a room full of failures they don't care they keep going and it was him that he turned around and he gave me the line that i use a million times he said they used failure to refine them not define them hmm. and every single person in the planet it has gone through a series of how many times have you fucked up and failed in your life dozens not enough <laughs> you're gonna keep going right. and i am a serial failure i live very well now yeah you know i haven't got to worry about you know paying the mortgage or keeping the lights i ain't got to worry about that shit mm. but if i'm the exact same person this time next year i would have wasted 12 months without trying mm. i have to try at things yeah. I want to fail in things so I can go, oh, that's how it works. Yeah, right. And then you try again, it works. And you go, great, what's the next thing I can screw up? Mm -hmm. So I think failure should be invited. That's where the education is. Steve, this, I mean, every time we talk, I'm just like, we could just keep talking and talking. So I'll have to cut it off now because... We're, we're getting together in a couple of hours from now anyway. And with there's other, drink to be consumed. There are drinks to be consumed. There's food to be consumed and lots of good conversation, everything. So thanks again for coming on the show. If you have not yet, pick up a copy of Go for Stupid, Steve's most recent book. And then and then Blue Fishing as well is, is still a great one. It's sold lots and lots of copies, translated into dozen plus languages think, something like that i think that. it's nine languages yeah. or something yep yep which is which is incredible man so thank you so much for coming on thanks for always being a good friend and looking forward to tonight love so that's it for today's episode thanks for spending some time with me and my friends if you want to be better friends with me then head over to travischapel.com slash team to subscribe to my free newsletter your friend travis where i share what's on my mind about life building a business, raising kids, being married, and anything else I would normally share with my close circle of friends. That's travischapel.com slash team. And my biggest ask of you since I'm sharing my friends with you is to share this episode with a friend of yours that hasn't listened to the show yet. Then leave us a quick five-star rating in Apple Podcasts and in Spotify. It would mean the world to us as it helps us make sure that this show continues to be more valuable to you. Thanks in advance, and I'll catch you on the next episode.